speaks louder than words. From Warner Chapel. Welcome to Speaks Louder Than Words. I'm Elliot Childs. In this episode, I talked to Jeff Middleton, who's one of our songwriters from Nashville. We spoke about country music in general, his time in the band The Dirt Drifters, his love of Bruce Springsteen and Iron Maiden, how Garth Brooks inspired him to become a country songwriter, and how he's now working with some of Nashville's biggest songwriters, such as Liz Rose. You can find us on Twitter at Warner underscore Chapel and on Facebook at Warner Chapel UK. And you can also check us out at warnerchapel.com. Don't forget, Chapel is, as always, spelt with two P's and two L's. The interference. The interference, yeah. So I had to, yeah, sit there with Pro Tools just trying to yes, scrub trying to it all out. It's, oh, oh, God. Oh, God, that's a lot of work. It's that's awful. The, uh, when we play, I play in a band, and, and uh, if you leave that on your amplifier, the sound oh, guy yeah. will always be like, hey, who's got their iPhone on? <laughs> the first couple of years, from? you didn't know what it was, and then somebody finally realized, it's like, oh, crap. Put the iPhone on. So is that Dirt Drifters? I used to be in the Dirt Drifters. Yes. yes. I was in the Dirt Drifters, I guess we started in 2007. Okay. And then uh, the band was founded by uh, myself and Matt and Ryan Fleener, who were two brothers from Oklahoma, uh, who were doing a duo thing. They'd come to Nashville to uh, write songs and be an artist, and, and I met up with them playing guitar for some other people and we started writing songs and it kind of evolved uh they had had a publishing deal and then they lost the publishing deal okay and we were working together out at my house a bunch like every thursday night they'd come out after work we'd write some songs and started to evolve a sound cool and uh that was back in 06 07 and then started doing the the thing in Nashville trying to make our way man so are are you from Nashville then or is this just I grew up in New Jersey ah so yeah I was I went to high school in New York uh city so I took the trains that's why I love London is the big city a cool city because it reminds me of home and I'm really comfortable on the on the underground and and that kind of thing it was cool to be able to hop back on the train and make my way up here and, and that kind of thing so I grew up in New Jersey, New York area, went to uh, college in Philadelphia. Oh, cool. So I lived in Philly for a while and then moved to Nashville. So what drew you that. to Nashville? What? Songwriting is Just, actually, that's yeah. why that was the reason Just. I moved to Nashville. I was actually, when I was in my last year of college, I, uh, I was not a country music fan. I was a Iron Maiden fan when I was a kid, a yeah. heavy metal guy, and then I got into songwriting and in New Jersey, Bruce Springsteen is yeah. the end-all, be-all uh, of songwriting. Jersey. Yeah, and you know, as a songwriter, you're just like, he writes them all by himself, and he yeah. records them, and he's just, they're great stuff. And uh, so him and Tom Petty and and Joe oh, okay. Jackson and that kind of world, Yeah, I lived there for a while. Cool. And so I was watching um, the Jay Leno Tonight Show Oh yeah, uh, you know that late night show, mm-hmm. and uh, saw Garth Brooks play a song called "Learning to Live Again." Right, and it was just him and a guitar. It wasn't like the big like the production big thing. Yeah, Garth it wasn't Brooks like a huge Garth Brooks concert thing. Yeah, I had no idea even who he was, what he was, no clue. Really, and he played this song "Learning to Live Again," and at the time I was doing singer songwriter stuff 
in Nash or in Philadelphia at mm. my school and just kind of kicking around thinking I like to write songs and this is fun and I saw him and I was like oh my god where do they where do they write songs like that I was like who's this guy and really? that song killed me and so the next day uh, I'm gonna date myself here but the next day I went out <laughs> to the used CD store to yep. the country section and bought like every country CD that I was even familiar with the name. Wow. For. So I was like, okay, I've heard of George Strait. Let me buy a bunch of UCDs. I've heard of Alan Jackson. Because if Nashville was where they're writing those songs, that's where you then that's to where be. I wanted to be. And so I had a, a huge learning curve on the countryside because in New York, New Jersey area, there weren't any country radio stations. So we didn't uh. even, the most country music that I had heard was like Kenny Rogers, you know, who had, crossed over yeah. and the gambler and coward of the county and all that kind of stuff mm. but i didn't know you just didn't know this wasn't what i was aware of well, I've, I've noticed that in america that there is because country music is a whole separate industry there is. is like the music industry and yep. then there is nashville yeah nashville is and i think a lot of it's because it's truly an american yeah. music i mean you follow the roots back of country music it comes you know out of the folk and the bluegrass mm. and the blues and all that stuff merges um and there aren't influences like on the rock and roll side no. you know where you the british invasion and things like that when the beatles came over that changed yeah. the rock scene and the irony is that guys like elvis and that all influenced the beatles yeah so there was an exchange but i guess the cultural side of it um, the thing that drew, always drew me to country music was the stories, yes. you know, because I didn't grow up on a farm. I didn't grow up with pickup trucks and all the stuff that's very prevalent in, yeah. you know, the areas where country music was big. And the thing that always got me was whether you went to high school and you walked, you know, there or you took a truck or you rode the bus or you rode the subways like I did, you know, when somebody breaks your heart it hurts the same and so there's there was a there's a commonality yeah. story wise that i loved about country music and so for me it was stories and songs and and that's what drew me to nashville and i think that that's what's unique about um country music songwriting yeah. and country music it's very american oh, yeah. music um and so that's a, a blessing and a curse mm. as it were you know i love that's why i love being able to go to LA and write because that's a different scene and going back home to yeah. New York is a different scene coming to London has been great you know just as a songwriter to see what's out there and then kind of bring what I do in Nashville yeah around so so what, what is it like working in Nashville is there and I don't know a huge amount about country music but mm -hmm. I always kind of imagine that there are roughly there's a set of parameters for country music. Do you and mean that, in terms of structures and lyrics structure and things like that? Structure and lyrics, like, I've, I've been reading, well, hearing a lot on, like, some American music podcasts about this whole bro country thing. Yes, bro country. And how it's now kind of getting to the point where it's like, right, pickup trucks, beer, uh, painted on jeans, girls. Right. Right, that's on the song. Great, that's a hit. And here's the thing. I, I think there are... Uh, I don't know much about how the industry works mm. in the UK and in Europe. I can tell you that the, in the United States, radio 
has always been the primary tool through yeah. which artists get promoted. Yeah. Um, there are definitely genres uh, these days, the, even more so, you know, indie rock, punk, um, Americana, folk. They all have touring acts and they can be made, you know, their industry works a lot more on the touring side. Country yes. has that, but typically in country, it's always been a radio driven success. So, you know, you write a song and it's geared towards the radio and yeah. finding your audience on the radio. Funny thing about the radio is, I think a lot of those people love music, program directors, you know, that mm. I've met love music, but I think they're in the advertising business. Yeah. And so they're trying to serve their clients and their customers who are people who are trying to reach an audience. Yeah. So as the radio industry has changed in the United States over the last 20 years or so and become more narrow and consolidated, I think the things that get played, the playlists get narrowed down. Yeah. So it makes it harder for program directors to really go outside yeah. too far because they're trying to keep their business going yeah. and their demographic and reach the people who like that kind of music. So a lot of times it's it's really difficult for everybody in the music business to find a way to open up the box and kind of let more things through. Mm. You know, it's, it's kind of like a very tight funnel and always has been, yeah. but it just gets tighter and tighter. So what happens is, you know, you know that something works, so it gets hammered away yeah. on, you know, and it's sort of like, I, you know, it's funny in the, in the movie industry in in Hollywood, you know, there's movies that get remade you yes. know, all the time, you know, so it's like, oh, we're going to do a remake of this movie and it's yep. the same story, total recall with a new cast. Yeah. You know, instead of Schwarzenegger, it's going to be Colin Farrell or whoever, you know, the, the cast is. And I think it's the same sort of thing where it's a proven formula. Yeah. It works. And if you have slight variations on things, then you can be successful. Yes. And I think that's the that's the hardest part as a songwriter is because I know that, that a lot of guys who've had, you know, and I haven't had a ton of radio success at all in the States, but I know a lot of those guys are brilliant writers mm. and have written things that you know, it's like, well, this is probably not going to get played on the radio unless the yeah. right artist records it who already has the big radio hits. success. Yeah. You know, if a, if a Keith Urban records a song it's going to get played on the radio and then you'll be able to tell what people think. Yeah. And I think that's the hardest part as a writer um, to kind of toe the line of getting too predictable and too, you know. Yeah. Um, I've written my share of tailgate truck, beer, dirt road songs. Well, there's... Um, but it's real I, I for, you know, I, it's... Yeah, I didn't mean to sound kind of condescending in, no, it's, in, in it's, that whole thing, but because some of that, that stuff way. is great. Some of that is just like really catchy, mm -hmm. good stuff. And here's, you know, the argument that I've always heard is, you know, for a lot of people that is real, you yeah. know, and I think that that's, um, I think it's not as deep, maybe, as some people mm. would say, you know, some people would say that... Um, that there's not enough heartbreak, that there's not enough, yeah. you know, uh, stuff about marriages and things like that. 
which at the same a, time a trope of classic country music well yes exactly and i think that that's where a lot of the resistance may mm. come and i think that some of that is well what is the music what's the purpose of the music yeah you know and i think a lot of it is you know if you go out to a bar on a friday night or a club in in you know in the middle of texas i don't really want to hear about how bad someone's marriage is. I may not. I may. I may not. I don't know. You <laughs> know what I mean? Kind of like, depends on where it is. You know, yeah. there's the things that are happening this week over at the O2, and it'll be cool to see yeah. a European audience because it's a wide range of artists from the country world. Oh, yeah. You know, from Brandy Clark, you get Florida George Line and Luke Bryan and Lady Annabellum. So it covers yeah. the whole range. So I'm curious to see what the what the response will be to different. Yeah, because my... Different sites of artists. I've found that in Europe, the country music that kind of makes a, any kind of an impact here is usually the more kind of alternative okay. side. Uh, people like Liz Rose's daughter, Caitlin. Yes. Caitlin Rose. Uh-huh. Like her, her stuff's done really well over here. And Casey Musgraves. Yep. Although that was a, a very commercial album. There was a Americana well, feel to it. Yeah, that I was, was going to say, one. I, it's... For me, it's hard. like the way I look at the business is there's going to be music that's accessible. I mm. prefer the term accessible than commercial because I Fair think enough. commercial. Um, no, I use the word commercial all the time. <laughs> I prefer the word accessible because I think there's music that may not be very quote unquote commercial, mm. but I think what defines commercial is you know another word for advertising is a commercial. Yeah. So something that. I know I have a demographic for this. I know I have an identifiable segment of my population that if I were to play this, chances are it's going to be successful. Mm. So that's really commercial. Accessible to me is almost trickier because yeah. accessible means that there's going to be people all over the place. Maybe people from this very commercial market, maybe people from the rock market, maybe people from Europe. Maybe mm. there's a bunch of people in London who will love this kind of music because it's very accessible. Meaning, yes. it, it, you know, it's something that they can, and it's catchy, and it's got something that they can remember and they can grasp onto, and all that kind of stuff works. So it has elements of commerciality to it. Yeah. But the problem with that is I don't know who my market is. No. You know, and and uh, to, to use our my own music as an example, mm. like. Commercially, we were tricky, I think. You know, we weren't, you know, we were a little more rock. Yeah. We were a little more, you know, heavy than country was used to. Mm. Uh, I think our songs were country, but we were kind of on the edge land. So yeah. we weren't like a predictable, like, I, I know what to do with this. Um, we were a little older. You know, we were in our 30s, so yeah. we weren't like, you know, a bunch of young, good-looking kids who were, you know, were out there and... and boy bandy or whatever it is you know places where i know what to do with it yeah and so but i feel like our like that music was very accessible to people you listen to it and you're like okay and i may not get everybody in the commercial you know country radio segment Hmm. but i could spill over into other segments maybe and i think that's the challenge for marketing on the label side of things yes that's the challenge is figuring out how to who's the market for this where am i going to put this out where i'm going to get the best level of success 
you know so i think i think that's why to go back to your original question about mm. kind of the the narrowness sometimes of american country the stuff that gets really big i think that that's because when it's a little easier to identify i have yeah. to do smaller variations and it's the same with all music it is it the is same, the with, same all with all music. music yeah it's at the end of the day it boils down to it being music that is popular at mm-hmm. that particular time and is therefore easier easier to push yep and that's always going to sell more the uh, the cool thing though is that these days the technology side of things makes it a lot easier to find your market yeah it's harder because it's a little bit more wild wild west to use an american expression <laughs> it's a little bit more wild west yeah. where it's just kind of this open like yeah do what you want to do, which makes it harder on the audience. Yes. Because they're just like, I don't even know just where to go. Like, with stuff. Yeah. But from an artist's side, it's not like 10 or 15 or 20, 30 years ago where if I wanted to get my music out, the process was you write the songs, them. get a record label, they're going to put it on the radio, and then they're going to go buy it in the store. Yeah. Now it's like we write a song, and it can be on SoundCloud in an hour. Exactly. And if I have an audience, I'll know right off the bat whether I was successful or not. Yeah. Now, how you monetize that is a whole, a whole, whole other question thing. for somebody else to answer. Let's <laughs> try to write songs. So let's talk about Dirt Drifters a bit yeah. more. So I, in preparation for this interview, listened to your album. Oh, okay. Um, Thank you. What were your influences in, in writing that record? Because I picked up Steve Earle on, yep. I think it was the second track. Always a reason? Yeah. Okay. I was listening to that, and it sounded early Steve Earle to Oh, me. very cool. Well, I usually get Springsteen okay, on that yep, one. Okay, yeah, there was a bit of Springsteen in and there. And that definitely. was really, that was, I think we I think Mary's in that song, so that has to be a Springsteen reference. Yes. <laughs> um, but, uh, <laughs> yes, I would say, because being in a band is funny. Mm. Um, because you all bring different things, especially being in a band. The band we met in Nashville. So we didn't grow up in high school. You know, it's not like you two where we've been together forever. We come from the same of the Beatles. We come from the same, you know, cultural background. I grew up going to high school in New York city Two of the guys or brothers in Oklahoma. Uh, one of the guys was from Louisiana. One of the guys from was Tennessee. So it was all this mixture of influences. Mm. Um, I would say that on the countryside, Merle Haggard, Okay. Was a big influence, not so much for me, but for, for the, the Fleeners. Um, Merle Haggard, uh, a lot of the Texas sort of country. Okay. Um, Steve Earle. Uh, for me, it was Bruce Springsteen. Um, and I think if you put that in the, in the pot, and then, of course, you get a, a drummer from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and you get sort of that swampy Cajun sort sound. of Cajun yeah. thing going on, and... And then the bass player wa- was from Tennessee, but okay. he was—he had come out of sort of the rock okay. side of the world, um, and so that brought a different, you know, different feel. Our original bass mm. player was from LA, so ah. same kind of thing. Um, so it, it's funny, influence-wise. I mean, I think it's definitely those classic rocker meets country like I, th- yeah. I would say that Springsteen is more country than a lot of rock yeah, definitely. guys just because of his songs well, albums like Nebraska yep exactly very country record mm-hmm. 
yet stark but a, a oh yeah kind of country songwriting wise yeah it's definitely there's that sort of rootsy sort of thing and then the iron maiden influence was when we first you know it's funny when we first started the band you know you're trying to find a name for things and yeah all that kind of stuff and what would happen is it was me and matt and ryan fleener and, and a buddy blue foley was his name is his name and uh, another writer and we used to write these songs and when we would do tracks on on my in my studio mm. the guitar was always like well we'd put a little more dirt on it which is the you know put a little bit more distortion yeah. a little bit more edge on it because in nashville you get a lot of clean guitars a lot of times yeah. and we just were like we'll make it a little more and so for me as a former rock heavy metal guy to turn up the distortion on a guitar i was like yes that's the sound you're going for yep and so that was eventually how we came up with the name ah so the dirt was i mean it was there was a number of things but that was one of them that we always liked to to laugh about and then at the time one of the albums that was a strong influence are you familiar with the randy rogers band i am not okay you should check out the randy rogers band they're in texas a band that does really well in Texas and kind of out of that market. Okay. They had an album uh, called Roller Coaster. Okay. Great record. Um, and at the time that we were just writing songs and trying to figure out where we fit into Nashville, um, that was one of the albums we were listening to. And okay. so it's a great record. Cool. Uh, it's really rootsy and organic and uh, good songs. And so. Uh, Randy's, you know, he's out there doing the Texas thing, writing songs, and but that was an, also an influence for us. Cool. What's the song uh, "Married Men and Motel Rooms" about? Oh well, okay, that, so that kind of that one struck me, yeah, especially the title. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, there, uh, so there were uh, a couple stories about that song. It was the last song we cut for the record. Okay. Or it was the last song that we wrote uh, for the record, and. Uh, uh, Matt Fleener and I, who were supposed to write with uh, two guys, Josh Keir, um, who actually, one of his biggest hits is the Lady Annabellum song, Need You Now, and a guy named Mark Irwin. And so we were, we were going to be a four-way writing session. And we, were, you know, we were supposed to go in the studio the next week or whatever. So you know, we didn't know what we were looking for. We had been writing for a while. Matt, at the time, we were, you know, everybody was sort of making ends meet however they could. Mm. Uh, and so he had to go to work that day instead of coming to the writing session. All right. So, uh, and Matt and I have, have a long, long-term uh, joke about how he was always killing people in songs. Like, he would have these dark songs. That, they're great songs, like, don't get me wrong. But yeah. it, in terms of songwriting, it's like, well, we'll never cut that just because... Somebody's Wow, died. oh my God. Like, <laughs> and that's like the classic country-like thing. Yeah. Kill somebody in a song. It's awesome. And so I got in the room with, with Josh and Mark, and we wrote a song in the morning. You know, we got together at 10 or 10.30 or whatever time it mm-hmm. was. And uh, we wrote this first song. It was fine, and it was a first writing appointment, so it was okay. And we went to lunch, and we'd written pretty quickly. So it was like, mm-hmm. do you want to go back and try to write another song? And somebody had the hook. I think Josh may have had the hook, or somebody had the hook, Married Men in Motel Rooms or whatever. And I, I, somebody had it. Anyway, right. the funny thing was, was I let, 
in honor of Matt, let's kill somebody. <laughs> he couldn't be here today. Well, why don't we get some? Why don't we get some people killed in a song? And we had already written the song, so we'd kind of done our job for the day. Brilliant. And so we wrote the song, and and where it came from, I guess maybe I had the hook. I don't know. Um, when we were touring, the, the Dirt Drifters was out. We were out on the road. Mm. Was kind of our thing. We would go. That was one of the things about the band was we were like, we need to get out of Nashville, recharge. So let's go play some music for people. Awesome. That we love. So we were in a town called Mount Airy, North Carolina. Now there is a town name. And yes, so Mount Airy is this little tiny town in North Carolina. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Andy Griffith show. Oh, yeah. So Mayberry. Yeah. It's actually the town that Mayberry is based on. Really? Yes. So it's it's that kind of a town. Wow. A little town. We played this little club for nobody. And the club was like attached to this motel. And I guess as we were leaving... Someone made the comment, like, that's the kind of hotel that somebody gets killed in. <laughs> and so it made, it made the song. It was called The Starlight. And so it made the song. And that was kind of the evolution wow. of, you know, kind of then the idea of married men in motel rooms kind of. Yeah. It all kind of flows came out of that. that. Yeah. And so we wrote that song pretty quickly. And we, you know, it was one of those things where it was just like, you talked earlier about like the box and things like that. Mm. That was one of those songs where we had. We all felt like, okay, we can write a song together, so let's just have some fun. Yeah. And so we were like, well, let's try to write the verses that don't have, you know, have as few verbs as impossible. So we'll just use nouns. And so that was kind of the device. We'll just describe a scene. And I remember we just did a little work tape of it. Hmm. And I sent it to the guys in the band. I was like, hey, this is what we did. Hey, Matt, wrote a killing song today. And it made the record. We cut the next week. And it was one of those that's like late chargers that everyone was like oh my god man so it was a good one yeah it was one of my favorites on the album thank you it was was really cool so how did you get involved with uh liz rose because i've been going through your catalog of songs and you've written quite a few with with her yes um she's my publisher well there we go so um i met her through we had a we had a common business manager Mm. Um, and so we met, uh, I guess probably four years ago. Okay. Um, and she was just starting up her publishing company. So she had, you know, she'd been in town for years and she'd written on all of the Taylor stuff and, and done very well with that. And so she was in a position where she could open her own publishing company and sign some writers. And at the time I was looking for a publishing deal. So. Uh, had the opportunity to write a song with her, mm. you know, which is uh, basically a way to get to know somebody, which is great, you know. So uh, we wrote a song, and uh, from that point, you know, her, uh, I guess she liked me enough and <laughs> thought, I, thought I had at least enough talent to take a bet. And uh, uh, so I signed with her about three, almost exactly three years ago. Oh, wow. And since then, the company is now a, a joint venture with uh, Warner Chapel Nashville. Yes. Um, so that's been great too. Uh, it's kind of funny that the Dirt Drifters were a Warner act. Yeah. And so we're back kind of in the in the house. That's cool. Um, but yeah, we've had a lot of opportunities to write some really cool stuff. It's mm. fun to be in a room with her. She's, I mean, she's a great person, and then she's a even you know the other way around she's a great writer and then she's an even cooler person cool um yeah i had that backwards um she's great at both but uh just creative 
and just yeah. has set up kind of an environment for me as a writer and for everybody who writes for her mm. to just be ourselves and and write good songs and have fun with it so when you go into a writing session with mm-hmm. someone that you don't necessarily know kind of what are you thinking about as you go in what's do you go in with a plan or do you take anything that you may have written beforehand in with you or do you just go in with a blank slate and I try to do the blank slate thing a lot of times like like I know who I'm going to write with and you right. sort of know who they are and who yeah. especially in Nashville it's kind of a small community yeah. and, and things like that and so the publisher you know my publisher will set up some appointments and if it's that kind of a of a first write a lot of times I'll just sort of see what the room has for that day cool um, if it's an artist you know there's to me there's kind of different ways to do it if I'm writing with mm-hmm. an artist a lot of times it'll be getting to know them pulling some things out of them to see yeah. kind of what's going on with their life because to me the best stuff is going to be the real yeah. stuff and it's like I can sit in a room with a title and write you a song about it but that won't necessarily be something that hits people no. and if it's an artist it's like where are you coming from what kind of stuff do you like a lot of conversation to start okay. and then on the making stuff up side you know are there any titles I always usually have a, a huge list of titles or things that are along the you know course of time I've written down yeah. some days I'll look at them and go oh, who got a hold of your notebook because this is the <laughs> dumbest idea that I've ever heard in my life and then other days you'll be like oh wow that was pretty good <laughs> so it's, it's like hundreds of titles and you just be like none of these are hitting me and so you throw them back at each other you know yeah. back and forth or just depending on the room whether you know do we want to start with a groove are we mm. in an acoustic guitar kind of mood are we in a you know and that's just figuring out what's going to hold the day yeah um and then songwriter wise you know sometimes songwriters do we you know it's different with a songwriter than it is an artist I and mean, sometimes they're both but if there's an artist there's usually more hopefully more direction as to kind of what we're looking for so that'll guide yeah. me in kind of one way with another songwriter it may just be i came up with this chorus do you like it okay you know, oh, cool, yeah, and then you just write that, yeah. or here's a couple lines that I made up, or a melody that I really like, and they overlap. Sometimes I might do that with an artist. Sometimes I might do that with, you know, or do the other with a songwriter. Yeah. But that's kind of. But I like to go in and just kind of see what see what the room has yeah. to hold, because I feel like the room is where the energy is, and it's going to be different, you know. And if I come in with too much planned out then one of us may end up disappointed because it it either didn't go my way or it didn't go their way because I'm so set on wanting to write this kind of a thing Mm. Um, I think the the more you write with people the easier you know how to go into room yeah and kind of know what the expectation is from them first writes are, are tough yeah I think a lot of it, having, from what I've gleaned from doing yeah. these interviews, is a lot of it is knowing how to kind of deal with people and how to talk to someone and kind of get to know them. Yes. As much as it is about knowing 
what chord works with. There's nothing chord. more uncomfortable than sitting in a room with someone and there being no conversation and no, yeah. like there have been writing appointments where, you, where you're not getting anything back and that's just, it's, like, it's tell different. me you hate it. Tell me you think it's <laughs> awful. Just tell me something. Because that's that's yeah. At least tough. Because you you're not you're not building a relationship. You're no. not making anybody feel anything. Even the room. So how is the song gonna make anybody feel anything? Those happen fewer and further between. But oh well, yeah. But yeah, that's tough. Yeah, I can't imagine anything more awkward than that. Really it makes me uncomfortable right now. <laughs> so you write mainly in Nashville. Is that yes? Is that be correct? Yep. What are the differences writing in Nashville and writing somewhere like the UK or LA? Is there a huge difference or is it all just there's a similarity? Because we spoke to people that have written in Sweden and mm -hmm. the UK and America and Australia and all of these places. And they're like, yeah, it's kind of the same. It's all music. Yeah, and I think this is the first time I've written in the UK. So I wrote, okay. so I wrote in uh, Ireland uh, earlier this week. And then I've had a couple writing appointments here. Yep. Uh, I've written in L.A., and written in Nashville. And then when I was writing in, in New Jersey, New York, it usually was by myself. Yeah. I didn't do much co-writing up there. So my plan is to go up and write in New York, come yeah. back home and see what it's like there. Um, in the childhood bedroom. Yeah, that's right. See what it's like. See if you invite yeah. somebody in my bedroom. That's creepy. Um, <laughs> come to my mom's house. And uh, it is the same. Hmm. Um, I think the one thing I sort of caught is, and I'm, I haven't been in the UK long enough to know what it's what the daily life of a songwriter is like. Yeah. I know that in Nashville, the daily life of a songwriter is a staff songwriter is you get up and you have a writing appointment. Uh, some guys will have a ten thirty. You go to the office and you have an appointment and you write a song, which stunned the hell out of the people I talked to in Ireland. They were like, wait yeah. a second, you go you go in the morning at 10 o'clock and you go write a song? Like I was like, yeah, job. that's what I did. Yeah, they were like, really? I was like, yeah. I was like, what do you do? And they were like, well, we usually just at night or something have some beers and then we write a song here. I was like, okay, well, that happens too. Mm. It's just as your, if that's your job and you go yeah. in and you have 10 o'clock appointments and you may have a 10 or a two and a two, so a double session. Some guys who are crazy have... Ten twos and sixes. Um, wow. Yeah, those guys. There's one a buddy of mine who's an Australian guy named Phil Barton, and he's great, but he's just booked. Boom, 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 boom. His energy level is crazy. It's great. Yeah. Um, and then some guys, you know, another guy in the office, Corey Crowder, a great writer as well. He's He builds demos, so he'll write a song and then have a demo basically done by the okay. end of the day. Um which is just a, another process of doing it. Yeah. So coming over here, I was very curious to know just what... How it works. What's, yeah, what's the yeah. process? What happens? And so all of the writing appointments that I've had, I think I've learned that the creative side is very similar. Mm. It's simply the tools that you'd use with a particular person. I think it goes back to what you were saying before about getting to know somebody. Yeah. Like, the first hour or so of every appointment at least has been just talking and getting to know people and 
learn. So what's it like to be a musician yeah. in Ireland? You know, what is that like? Here's what it's like to be in Nashville, you know, and some of them have had record deals or have record deals. So you tell war stories yeah. about, you know, how evil record labels are. No, no I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but like you, like you tell stories of the stuff that they're yeah. not uncommon stories. It's no. a tough business. So everyone's got something yeah, like that. The battles that you went through and the things yeah. you went through for your art, and then it eventually all comes back to the music. Yeah. And it's like, so what do you feel? You know, what's your day like? What's going on? Do you want to pull up a loop and see what happens? Do you want me to sit? And each writing appointment has been slightly different for me, which has mm. been kind of cool. Um, you know, one was very collaborative. Uh, one was, uh, I was on the music side and, and the lyrics came out of of my co-writer. And yeah. it just was, you know, me moving things around and stuff like that. So one, and you know, one you're driving, you know, and it's, it's the same, like that's the point. It's yeah. the same, that happens all the time in Nashville. It's just a different, you come from different backgrounds, yeah. I think is the hardest part. Musically, tailgates and dirt roads and pickup trucks were not the subject matter. No. <laughs> so, and there's a, We don't have many dirt roads. I was and I'm say, not sure we know what tailgates are. No, there. it's the backside of a, of, a, of a pickup truck. Okay. So when you drop the tailgate... And so I'm assuming a tailgate party is a party based around sitting on a pickup truck. Basically, you drop the tailgate of the pickup truck and you can sit on it. All your stuff's in the back. Everybody backs their pickup trucks up, drops the tailgates. A whole lot of things have just made so much more sense <laughs> to me now. Glad I could be of service. Wow. That is basically... I should have looked this up on it's Google. Just, ah, but no, it's better for me to be able to tell you. It's cool. But it's good to have Americans come over and explain these that's things. That's what I mean. It's, it's not very complicated, but... There we go. It's like any sort of language barrier thing. <laughs> it's the language barrier. Indeed. Wow. Okay. That's cool. It's. I, I guess I find it kind of comforting that music is kind of the same wherever you go, kind of writing music. Mm -hmm. It's It's art, mm. you know, and, and uh, we talked some about the commercial side earlier, yeah. but like for me, I look at our job as artists as writers is there was a book I once read by a guy named Rob Bell and, and it said in there that artists jobs is to basically just make somebody remember that they're not the only person that feels a certain way and so nice. yeah that's and I was really like nice. oh my god that's what I that's what I want to do you yeah. know so it's like if I'm the one whose heart's broken or I'm the one who's having an awesome great time you want to share that you want to share that and whether and it comes back to almost you know when I moved to Nashville to do country music it's like I came from New York different culturally different yeah. background completely different but when you write about something that's real and something that means something to somebody then and you can make them feel that that's yeah. awesome and coming to Ireland coming to England going to LA going to all these different places you're right it's the same it's like what do you feel and just because I have a funny accent doesn't mean, you know, that it doesn't, it doesn't feel the same. We're all human. Cool. I take it you prefer writing with people. Do you do much writing on your own? or 
most of the writing I do on my own is for idea generation. Okay. So I'll write a song every once in a while. I think last year I, I wrote maybe four or five songs hmm. by myself, um, which is not a lot. No. Um, I just feel like I know I'm going to be writing with somebody. Yeah. And I love to have something to throw out there as an idea. Okay. And so I'll write a chorus and then be like, oh, I know this guy, Neil Medley. He's a co-writer of mine. He'd be great for this. We'll find an artist to write with. Brilliant. And just just have this thing that's there. Yeah. And if it hits everybody the right way. And sometimes you'll throw it. It's funny. Sometimes you'll throw something, you know, a couple lines out. And people be like, oh, don't, don't like, like that. Yep. <laughs> okay. Try again. Wrong room. <laughs> so you just got to. one for later. Exactly. <laughs> count on the fact that the room will be there at some point. Yeah. And if not, then I'll write it myself. Cool. How, how do you go about writing? Are you just like sat on your sofa with a guitar, or do you or do you have a structured way of writing on your own, or are you just more kind of? I will vary things. Sometimes I'll just sit with a guitar and my mm. iPhone and just do little voice memos. Yeah, where I'll just play different pieces. I'll move the capo around, change, you know, chord positions. Come up with different. I'm pretty limited as a guitar player, even though I play guitar for a living. Um, move the move the yeah that's funny move the uh, move the capo around you know just come up with something that jogs me creatively to get me out of my comfort zone to yeah. get me out of the box um, tape a bunch of those have a bunch of those along go back and listen to them sometimes other times I'll set up my computer turn on Pro Tools or Ableton or I have different ones that I'll use. Sometimes it's Logic, sometimes it's Pro Tools, sometimes it's Ableton, yeah. just to get out of a typical. Uh, turn on a drum machine, turn on a loop, find a guitar part or something that inspires me to mm. to take the next step with yeah. it. And I think that that's, as a writer, that's the thing. It's like, if it inspires me to write another line, cool. And then sometimes I'll have... Um, a lyrical thing okay where I'll just write a verse and I won't know what it is and then I'll go back and try to put it to music cool but so I vary that up yeah just because you need to keep it fresh too yeah because it can get stale and old and, yeah. and I don't want it to do that and so now some people may work better where it's the same thing every day yeah and I don't like for my studio to crash no that's so, always a good thing. But it's nice to be in the studio, though, and know how everything works. Yeah. But sometimes I like to just sit with a guitar and do it just, that way. Yeah. Old school. Piece of paper. Legal pad. Four track. Yeah. It's, I know, right? Crazy. I used to have one of them. I used to have one of those, too. My original one was a Fostex. Oh, yeah. yeah. I remember bouncing tracks on that. Yep. And just being like, oh, my God, it sounds like crap. Yeah. The, um... <laughs> That's because I wasn't any good at it. Under the oh, they all sound like crap. Though. They do sound like crap. My crap was specific kind of crap. Yeah. It was really, it was mine, though. Well, some crap can sound great. That's very true. Like, There's some records out there that, nah, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> so are you ever going to make a heavy metal record then? You know, I've never thought about that. My voice is not really, I would need a vocalist. Okay. I would need to hire a vocalist to sing that. Yeah. Which I, there's some options. Well, but, you know, it's funny about it. As a songwriter now, I listen back to some of the music I listened to when I was a kid. Hmm. And I was like, huh, that's an interesting choice. 
Really? Just as a songwriter, I'm like, wow, that's not well put together. <laughs> you know, and then, and, and the funny thing is like a band like Iron Maiden, who I love, I mean, and it's mm. funny that like the people who know country music in Nashville, like, and can, like, I can do that with Iron Maiden. I mean, I can tell you the Number of the Beast album, I can tell you really? Killer's album, all the guitar players, like that was like, wow, my thing. Yeah. And so it's funny, and their lyrics, their stuff, there was, a, I was a history major in college, so I think why I really liked them is that they, they had a there lot, you know, Steve Harris yeah. writes a lot of things, you know, the Crimean War. Who would write a song about the Crimean War? But the Trooper is about <laughs> yeah. the Crimean War. Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, yeah. that's a 14-minute song about, about the, the Rhyme of the, the Ancient, Ancient Mariner. Mariner, and it's the story. And I loved it. I mean, and it was, and I still love going back and listening to that stuff. But yeah. just creatively, where I am as a writer, maybe I need to dig into that some okay. more. But I never have. Maybe that's something I need to. Well, if I start hearing a lot of country songs with like really <laughs> twiddly guitar, I'm gonna say you're gonna hear some very heavy metal guitar. You'll be like, oh my god, they stole an Iron Maiden like for the Florida Georgia Line song. It'll be like Middleton wrote that country metal. Country metal. That must be a thing already, though. You know, it's funny, a lot of the bro country yeah. kind of stuff, um, a lot of the guitars and a lot of the the rock stuff, there's a lot of rock elements to yeah. it. Uh, not even in bro country, but in a lot of country, uh, I don't really like the word bro country just because it no. sounds derogatory. Yes. Um, like a lot of that new kind of country sound, a yeah. lot of it is older louder electric guitars because yeah. the genre allows for it now yeah there's an old uh some somebody told me once it was like well country music usually is five to ten years behind kind of rock music just yeah. for a lot of reasons demographic wise it's an older audience hmm. um but so now like the older audience that's in the country art audience is grew up on hair metal and grew yeah. up on like that stuff so a lot of that is more tolerable yeah. Then, then back you know, in, back in the seventies, where if it's a forty-year-old in the seventies, they're used you're to growing still expecting up George on, Jones. Yeah, just like little, like simple stuff, instrumentation-wise. Yeah. And so now you're getting into this time where, it kind of like Def Leppard electric guitars are like huge, and I'm just like, oh my god, well, it's so go. perfect because Def Leppard was another for influence for me. There you go. The Hysteria record. Yeah. Yes. Great record. You're going to go up to Sheffield after this? I was going to say, I'm going to have to come back to London, go do my little heavy metal influences tour. Go down to the Hammersmith Apollo. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Cool. How much is Nashville like the TV show? Have you seen the TV show? I have seen the TV show. I think the TV show is a drama. Yeah. And so I think things are exaggerated. Um, I can imagine. What specifically are you wondering about? I, I don't know. It, it, it just all kind of seems like everybody knows everyone. In that, that is show. very true. Yeah. Uh, especially in the business. Yeah. Uh, is it really that kind of small and compact then? It's very there? small. Yes. Like it's a. It's the joke is it's like junior high, <laughs> because everybody knows everybody, yeah. and there's all that sort of drama that goes around. Um, so I think I think there's a lot of things in the show that are accurate. I think yeah. it does a pretty good job of sort of condensing down and yeah. emphasizing the drama. It's got to appeal to a broad audience. Yeah. So they have to take some creative license with Yeah, and they have uh, an yeah, and they have an hour a week yeah. or whatever and so the stories have to be 
more inflated, and yes. they have to ha- things have to happen faster. Exactly. And you know, I think there's been some things where I've heard. I don't watch it a lot. I've seen some episodes yeah. of it. Where on the business side of things, people have gotten paid a little more than people really get paid. <laughs> um, chance meetings, yeah, seem more typical than they really are. You know, yeah. like if you're a nobody and you happen to run it, it's not that that's never happened. No, but it's, it's just that the typical way it works in Nashville you don't is get. they call it a ten-year overnight success. You know, so you kick around town and you you work with the people and you start to it's almost like you're a class <laughs> and you move along through class and yeah. you all graduate where the people you knew were business people they have jobs where they can help you out you've gotten to be a better songwriter or artist or whatever it is but you can't wait 10 years on a tv show to have that happen so no. you sort of set it up where it happens, it happens a little bit faster yeah and that's that's fine that's what yeah makes good television yeah exactly. and you know the funny thing about it is the music on it is great that first season because they had t-bone burnett yep doing all the, the music supervision great music just fantastic and and that and that was kind of the thing you know funny enough that's not what gets played on the radio no in in the states you know i don't know if there's like i have some friends of mine who've had a bunch of nashville cuts and they have not had any radio hits really yeah and you know i mean you can make a good living off of tv yeah money but the reality is that What's on the show is what's on the, the show, show is uh, was kind of what I wish got more radio. Yeah, by, you know, but again, that goes back to the difference between what we want to do and what radio programmers have to do. Yes, to keep their business mode. marketing and yep. and all of that. It's part of life. Well, Jeff, thank you very much for oh, my sitting down and talking to me. I very you. much appreciate it. Thank you for letting me ramble on and on. Oh, nice. Edit out and make me sound good. I'll try. Okay. Yeah, I know. <laughs> You're going to be like 18 hours in and be like, this son of a bitch. Nah, it'll be fine. Cheers, Great. man. Thank you. <coughs> Speaks. Louder. Bad words. From Warner Chapel.